going around. And um, does everyone have a handout? There's, there's some hands. Just put some hands. Steve's walking around with some. Um, you'll notice I teach at a Catholic college. I am what I call the evangelical on a short leash. It's to the grace of the Catholic Church that I have a professional career, and as you'll soon find out as this presentation goes on. When I was in graduate school at Regent College under J.I. Packer, Bruce Waltke, I had this fantasy, this great dream. My ministry was to be an evangelist to a public university. And that's a great disappointment, because what my ministry has turned into is a recovery project. My evangelical students come in. They're being bashed around by... Of course, the secular sort of approaches to things, but in particular, evolution. The pre-meters are my favorite students, jacked up, ready to go, real hard. When it comes to the evolutionary evidence, sure, it's in the fossils, but what it really is, it's in the molecules today. And they're seeing it day in and day out. So on Sundays, they hear one thing. And during the week, they hear something else. And the only way they can survive, and I'm not dissing them, is they compartmentalize. So one of my greatest blessings in life is to help encourage some students to present a variety of views. I tell them what I believe, as I will today, and um, give people a range. So some people might say, I want them to hold my view. You might find this hard to believe, and the answer is absolutely not. I want them to be aware of a variety of positions. I'll give you a variety of positions today, and then for them to make some informed decisions. Okay, Adam, original sin in human evolution. This will be quick. I'm a biologist, I'm a tooth evolution guy, and I don't mind saying to Dr. Carlson, I have physics envy, sir. I'm so amazed by you guys. But when I think of the heavens and I look up, and I'm going to put this entire discussion in perspective, this is what I'll fall on a sword for, that great 11th chapter of Hebrews. By the way, I came to Christ through the Gospel of John. Hebrews and John are my two favorite books, and I think we always have to keep this in context. Though I may hold a certain view, bottom line about the creation is that by faith I understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So that's really my central message in terms of stuff I will cling to, like the cross. Okay, we've all seen this. Last year, I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime, Christianity Today. Some scholars believe the genome science casts doubt on the existence of the first man and woman. Others say the integrity of the faith requires it. We're not talking about debate over evolution or the age of the earth. The question is, what about Adam and Eve? Well, I got quoted in there, and I didn't have any idea, but I, there was about six or seven emails that were trashing me that came out of nowhere. Because what they did is they quoted this, and out of a 500-page book, there's one sentence to quote that author found it. My conclusion of this book is clear. Adam never existed. And this fact has no impact whatsoever on the foundational beliefs of Christianity. Well, let me start, and this is in your handout, some basic definitions before we get to Adam, and I'll try to argue this case. Evolutionary creation is a term evangelicals are starting to use instead of theistic evolution. Definition. Look at the Trinitarianists position. I am a Trinitarian of the highest order. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created the universe and life through, oh, pardon me, including humans through and ordained, it's not a mistake, sustained, this is not deism as I'm accused of being, you can't be a deist when you believe in the Trinity, sustained God's omnipresence and, I'm going to define this term design, a design reflecting evolutionary process which leads to the I word. It's not a scientific theory, it's a belief. 
that be whatever happened to God the artist? Everything's about irreducible complexity today, right? What about God the artist? The beauty, complexity, and functionality in nature. And as a biologist, I see a whole lot of that complexity and functionality in nature point to a divine or an intelligent designer. And in particular, it is a revelation, but it is a nonverbal verbum in Latin word. It's a revelation, a real revelation, but doesn't use words. It's like music. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's music. It's a cosmic music. Okay, those are the initial terms. Touch Adam in the Bible, original sin in Christian tradition, human evolution, and Christian faith. Adam in the Bible, number one. <clears throat> term that you may not be familiar with. Concordism is the term you see out in the literature. I like to qualify it as scientific concordism and a couple definitions for you. Assumption, we all embrace this as evangelicals in our Sunday schools, that the facts of science align with the Bible. Another way of defining this, notice my first word, assumption that God revealed scientific facts in the Bible thousands of years before their discovery by modern humans. I'm sure you've all heard that in churches. We've all embraced this most likely at some point in our Christian faith. Here's the question. Is scientific concordism or concordism a reasonable assumption? The answer is absolutely yes. God created the world. I believe that. God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired the Word of God. It is the Word of God, the Bible. I believe that. So, that the book of God's works should align with the book of God's words. And if you're a concordist, you're not irrational. This is a very reasonable assumption. But you know, I've got a bit of a question here. But, do the two books align? I'm a two books person. Is, amen, thank you. Wow, <laughs> good crowd. Is scientific concordism a feature of the scripture? I think we can ask those questions. Is scientific concordism true? Well, on your handout, you have, and you had Paul so eloquently talk about the, the ancient science in the scripture and the firmament. You don't have to go very far into the scripture, and I'm going to, parenthetic note, I'm going to deal with the astronomy. Stay away from Adam and Eve and evolution. Start with something you're comfortable with. Second day of creation, as Paul said, and God created what? A firmament, and that's the best translation of the word rakia, or stereoma from the Septuagint. A hard, firm surface to lift the waters above, the waters above from waters below, and all of a sudden you're going, what in the world is going on? There it is, stop. Remember that song, dance like an Egyptian, walk like an Egyptian? You're gonna have to think like an Egyptian when you read an ancient text. Why would they have thought that? What did we see yesterday on that glorious, beautiful day? Big blue dome overhead. Spits at you sometime. Not a bad idea to think there's water up there. The heavens above, the waters above. Fourth day of creation, God does what? Places the sun, moon, and stars where? The rakia, in the rakia, in the firmament. Isn't that what it looks like from your perspective without your scientific knowledge or your scientific instruments? I think that's the case. And you notice that there's sort of a earth with water all around. Why do they think that? Think like an ancient. They're hitting all directions. And what do you hit? You hit water. So not, but not a bad idea. And we see this with a bunch of ancient maps of water all around the world. Okay. What is this? It's the best science of the day. Egyptians, Mesopotamians, Assyrians, everyone believe that. But it is, I'll qualify it as an ancient science. Question? I think we can answer this provisionally. Is scientific concordism true? No. It's not a three-tier universe out there. Immediate questions for my students. Did God lie in the Bible? I hope the colors are loud enough. <laughs> I teach undergrads. It's got to be this way, right? Heck no. 
God accommodated in the Bible. Notion of biblical accommodation. The Holy Spirit descended to the level of ancient humans to use their ideas ancient science in order to reveal effectively as possible, I am an inerrantist of the highest order. Inerrant message says of faith. Reasonable question is accommodation of watering down of the Bible. Get this from the evangelical students. That loud enough? No. Classic example of accommodation. What is the incarnation? God taken on human flesh. If that is an accommodation, I don't know what is. Parables. Jesus using earthly stories to give heavenly meanings within an ancient context. Prayer. When the Lord first met you and met me as a 25-year-old, what did the Lord do? Came down to the my level, worked through my categories. Finally, I think it's just a good pedagogical thing that when the little four-year-old comes along and says, Mommy and Daddy, where do babies come from? I don't have kids, so I understand you guys panic. What do you do? Don't you accommodate, come down to their level? Did you hear my knees go? <laughs> Should have never played college hockey. <laughs> when mommies and daddies love one another, they give you a special gift and you're that gift. Or do you tell them, this is what happened in Maui on our honeymoon? No, of course not. Okay, you hand out. Here's a suggestion. This is what I do. And you know something, though I might have cast this, I think you already hold this implicitly. We're talking, we'll go to the scripture for the message, not incidental elements. So there's the message, it's divine, it's inerrant, and there's an incidental ancient vessel. And when I use the word incidental, think about this. I think the plastic is totally incidental, but it serves a purpose to get across the water to moisten my throat. Or if you want to use the metaphor of the living waters, isn't the living waters the most important thing rather than the vessel that delivers it? And of course, this ancient science is from an ancient phenomenological perspective. So with this being the case, here's a suggestion. What's going on? God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1 and used a three-tier universe. Here's my little mantra. I'm going to say it a lot of times. Separate, don't conflate. We as evangelicals tend to conflate the ancient science with the messages of faith. Okay, so what are we saying? Ancient, ancient astronomy, ancient geology. Here's my first question. What other science in the Bible is ancient? Well, I think you know where I'm going. Biology. Second question. What did the ancients see when they looked at living organisms? Put on that Egyptian headdress right now and think like an ancient. You would have seen a cow give birth to a cow, give birth to a cow. Not such a bad idea, right? That reproduction of life is, where well, we heard this before 10 times in Genesis 1, reproduction according to their kinds. Why are we talking about kinds in Genesis 1? Well, that's what they would have conceived. So we're seeing here is an ancient taxonomy. Now, third question, this is getting a little more exciting. What are the implications of an ancient taxonomy for the creation of life? Think like an ancient. Well, a cow must have come from a cow, must come, the, and, and going back into time, we must have come to some sort of original cow. What is this? This is simply de novo, Latin for brand new, creation of life. It's creation that is quick and complete and very typical of ancient creation accounts, and we see this in Genesis 1 to 11. Very important term, retrojection. Retro, these kids insulting me with their retro 70s parties. I thought we were really cool back then. Retro and Yakari throw to cast back. Taking present experience and casting it back in time to explain the past. Your best example is CSI type thinking. What do they do? Take present data, 
back in the time, trying to reconstruct the beginning of time in the case of creation accounts or the murder scene. The reconstructing of the past by using the present. They are as logical as we are in the ancient world. They just don't stand on the shoulders of giants and have the privilege of all the education we've had. All right, you know where I'm going. Got it? Think like an ancient. Humans come from humans, come from humans. There must have been an... Bingo. Do you see him? What is he? The number creation of Adam. They're seeing a human gives a human gives a human. Okay, well, let's take this back into time. There must have been an original human, the de novo creation of Adam. So who's Adam? Adam is ancient origin science. Adam is, here's some technical language, the retrojective conclusion of an ancient taxonomy. What do we do with this? Well, back to your message, it's in your principle. What's the draw? What's, what's, what's the living waters in this early chapter? I think it's this. God created humans in the image of God, and we're also sinful. But the de novo creation of Adam is an ancient understanding of human origins. Here's the move. Separate, don't conflate. And of course, traditionally, we've done a lot of this conflation. Well, of course, first, what about Paul? Question, did Paul believe in Adam existed? Absolutely. You bet he did. And you often hear what I call a confirmant or bestowment argument, which simply goes like this. Paul believed Adam existed. Lamarou, therefore, Adam must have existed. Do you see how reasonable that is? That is reasonable. What else did Paul believe? Notice my shift. Here's my methodology. Go to astronomy. I love this. I'm a praise and worship, hands in the air sort of guy. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. We sing this in our church. Every knee, and I won't try singing it for you. Every knee shall bow where you know it. Got it? In heaven, on earth, and you all want to say under the earth? No, that's not what the, the, the Greek is. It's katakathonios, the chthonic realm, the underworld. And so watch my move here. You want to try the confirmant argument here and say, well, if you want to do this to me on, on Adam, then I'm going to turn back and say, well, if Paul believed in a three-tier universe, therefore you need to believe in a three-tier universe. I don't think anyone wants to go there. Message incident principle. And you know something? You don't have to be a professional theologian to figure this out. You know very well that the message is Jesus is Lord of the entire cosmos, but cast within Paul's categories of three-tier universe. So what is this? Ancient astronomy, ancient geology. You know where I'm going? What's the next move? What's the next, next science? Starts with a B. Got it. Thank you. Recast question number one. What other science in Paul's writings is ancient? Biology. Of course he believed in Adam, the de novo creation of Adam. Everyone believed in that. But Adam equals an ancient origin science. Well, Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15, right? That's where the fireworks are really starting. But let's try this. Maybe the whole thrust of the message is human sinfulness. Maybe what the apostle's doing is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, using an ancient understanding of science to deliver this wonderful message of faith of what it, this is our problem. We are sinful. And separate, don't conflate. But of course, that's part of the tradition. This is the best human origins science of the day. It's an ancient science of human origins. Adam is the retrojective conclusion of an ancient taxonomy. Fasten your seatbelts, please. Adam never existed. Why? The letters in yellow. Ancient Near Eastern understanding of human origins. Sin-death problem. That's always a tough one. 
Genesis 2:17. For when you add and eat of the tree, you shall surely die. 3.19, for dust you are and dust you shall return. And the comment, this is physical death. Some people, when they appreciate what they're trying to do, they try to turn it to spiritual death. No, dust, dust you are and dust you return is talking about physical death. 1 Corinthians 15.20, death came through a man. Yep, Adam. 5.12, sin into the world through one man. Adam and death through sin. That's exactly the text. And as Dr. Carlson said, you know, in terms of this, the question was asked, a great question. If you want to know what I think the challenge is, it's Romans 8. The whole creation, not just a little sector in the Garden of Eden, the whole creation was subjected to frustration, is in bondage to decay, and been groaning up until today. This is called the cosmic fall. It's the belief that dramatic changes in nature occurred after the entrance of human sin held all through church history. In judgment for sin, God launched decay, suffering, and death upon the whole creation. Now, you know something? I have no trouble with your scientific facts, and if they come from Scripture, fair enough. But we can go out and test it. But we can test this sin-death prediction. If indeed death enters the world because of human sin, what we should find is humans at the bottom of the fossil record, and everyone knows that's just not the case. Is this a problem for us? If we're a concordist, we're going to have some difficulty. Here's my suggestion. You have the paradigm, and it's toward a solution, not the solution for the sin-death problem. Apostle Paul accepted what? Quite clearly, an ancient astronomy and ancient geology, the three-tier universe of, and that's just not a sideshow passage, Philippians 2, the kenotic passage. Well, if Paul had an ancient astronomy, ancient geology, ancient biology, first step, he had an ancient view of the origin of life, fair enough, the de novo creation of life. So just to be perfectly consistent, he must also have an ancient view of the origin of death, whereby death entered the world after humans were created. Problem with the geological record? Not at all if this is an ancient understanding of the origins of death. So what am I going to do with this message incident principle? Humans are sinful. No amens on that, eh? You know you are sinful as I am. God judges humans for sin. Jesus died for sinful human beings, rose physically, bodily from the dead. And here's the most important thing. There should be some amens on this. And offers the hope of eternal life. Thank you. The incident. Ancient biology. Ancient understanding of the origin of life. Ancient understanding of the origin of the death. There's my move. I think conflation is one of the great problems we have. Separate, don't conflate the message from the old biology. Okay, let's get on to tradition, original sin. Well, you know it, original sin, St. Augustine. Shows up first in Council of Carthage, uh, then amongst the Lutherans, 39 Articles, Westminster Confession, and in Catholic tradition, Pius XII. When it comes to original sin, very complex doctrine, but here's two basic ideas. It's the first sin of a real man called Adam, and that this sin is passed on from Adam to all humans as their own. And as I mentioned, Council of Carthage, here's the council itself, and you have this in your second handout. If anyone says that infants are baptized for the forgiveness of sins, but, but contract nothing from Adam, that is original sin, let them be... Anathema, let them be eternally accursed. It's in the council. Of course, it's the fingerprints of Augustine. It's all Augustine's language over this, this council. What the apostle said through one man, sin entered the world, and through sin, death. So that is passed on to all humans in whom 
all sinned. And of course, if you're familiar with the text, that's the old Latin version. Of course, the modern translations is because all sinned. But the point is, by having the old in whom, everyone sins in Adam. So this gets deeply embedded in the tradition. But I've got a but. I've always got some buts. But is St. Augustine's belief in the historicity of Adam, and he believed in Adam was real, an ancient understanding of human origins. And there's my methodology. Well, let's see what Augustine believed in terms of his understanding of nature. Did Augustine accept ancient science? Well, let's do astronomy again. Always the easiest one to start with. The term firmament does not compel us to imagine a stationary heaven. We may understand this name as given to indicate not that it is motionless, but that it is... There is... A, that's, that's, what, that's why the best translation is firmament. And that it constitutes, there it is, an impassable boundary between what's you make an appeal to. Water's above, water's below. That's the second day of creation. Ancient astronomy. Still on the great Augustine. What concern is it of mine? Well, there's a bit of a debate in this day. Whether heaven, like a sphere, and the earth enclosed by it and suspended in the middle of the universe, in the middle of the universe, that's geocentricity, or whether heaven, like a disk, above the earth covers it on one side. So there's some debate on whether it's a three-tier universe or a geocentric universe. And of course, Augustine believed the first he was Platonist. That was Plato's view. But ancient astronomy. Now, when it came to the repopulation Creatures on distant islands like the Azores and the Canary Islands, I mean, they believe in a global flood, no doubt about it. How did those animals get there? And he had some theories. There is no problem with domestic animals or to those which, like frogs, spring directly from the soil. Spontaneous generation, ancient biology. Another hypothesis would be that they, and he's going to go all the way back to Genesis 1, where land animals spring up from... The land would be that they sprang up from the earth as they sprang up in the beginning when God said, let the earth produce a living soul. And this is called Augustine's seed principles, whereby the Lord created all sorts of these little seeds and from which they sprung up out of the ground, which, by the way, very Mesopotamian idea in some of these creation accounts in Mesopotamia. What is this? My feel here. Maybe an idea of what this is is basically little bit all stuffed up inside. They don't have our understanding of biology, so you've got these little seeds going around. Now, let's get a little closer to humans. When the first couple were punished by the judgment of God, look at this. So what's, what's going on in preformatist biology? It's like Russian dolls, little buddy inside a little buddy inside a little buddy. And here's the kicker, the whole human race, which was to become Adam's posterity, through the first woman, was present in the first man. Ancient biology. God, the author of all natures, but not of their defects, created man good, but man corrupted by choice and condemned by justice, has produced a progeny that is both corrupt and condemned, for we all existed in that one man. Since taken together, we were the one man who fell into sin. Our nature was already present in the seed from which we were to spring, Russian dolls inside one another. Ancient biology. Let's get home to our Protestant tradition. Well, Augsburg, original sin. Since the fall of Adam, I don't have this in the handout. just wasn't enough room, I'm sorry. Uh, the fall of Adam, all men begotten in the natural way are born with sin, and that this disease or vice of origin is truly sin. All right, well, let's look at Luther. What did Luther believe? And go take a look at his 
1536 Bible. Uh, there's a diagram from across from the creation account, and here's Luther saying from lectures in Genesis, the earth is the center of the entire creation. So there's your geocentricity. There's your Adam and Eve. There's your waters above, and we'll see this in the next passage. The Bible says that the moon, sun, and stars were placed in the firmament below and above which are the waters. The stars and the sun are around and they're fastened to the firmament like globes of fire. Do you see my pattern here? They all have old understandings. Maybe Adam is part of that old understanding. Ancient astronomy, and I love this one. We Christians must be different from the philosophers, that is the scientists, in the way we think about nature. And if some things are beyond our comprehension, like those before us concerning the waters above the heavens, we must believe in them, that is the waters above the heavens, then rather, rather than wickedly deny them or presumptuously interpret them. And I don't think anyone's feeling wicked or, interpret or presumptuous and not thinking there's a sea of water overhead. Ancient astronomy. Now here's some more on to the biology. Mice originate not from mice alone, but also from decay which is used up and gradually turns into a mouse. Spontaneous generation, ancient biology. It is not likely that birds go to regions more towards the south inasmuch as from experience it has been learned that swallows lie dead in the waters throughout the winter and return to life at springtime. This is truly a weighty proof for the resurrection, avian resurrection. <laughs> all right, all laughing. If this is ancient biology, what about Adam? Maybe it's in that same realm, ancient biology. Martin Luther, of course, I'm in a paleo department, privilege. If someday a species should perish, but I doubt this can happen, Luther, it would nevertheless be replaced by God. Lectures in Genesis, no extinction. Well, is Miller here? Keith Miller? Oh, well, Dr. Miller? You can comment on that. By the way, I'm a, I'm a tooth guy, and for you guys who've got any anatomy, I've practiced dentistry 25 years. I'll tell you right now, the, that's, that's what I've carved and restored for years and years. And of course, this is your famous Lucy, Australopithecus afarensis. And the kicker for me is, look where the nasopalatine uh, foramen is. That's a composite. That's a composite creature. Ancient origin science. We know from Moses that the world was, did not exist was not in existence for 6,000 years ago, then the world with all its creatures was created within six days as the words read. And that's what the words read, but what is it? De novo creation of the universe and life, ancient origins. And let's get on to the Calvinist and the Westminster Confession. If I had to circle my theology, I'm pretty well in this direction. And what does the Great Confession say? Our first parents, being seduced by the subtlety and temptation of Satan, sinned and in eating the forbidden fruit, they being the root of all, they being the root of all mankind, the guilt of this sin was imputed, and the same death and sin and corrupted by nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation. So it definitely believes in original sin. But what about Calvin? What did he believe? We are indeed not ignorant that the circuit of the heavens is finite, and that the earth, like a little globe, is placed in the center. And if you've got a pen, please write to the notes. I want you to read Davis Young's Calvin and the Natural World. This is where I'm drawing this stuff. Dave has written a brilliant book and just has not got enough press for that. Yeah, you bet. He's the man. A ancient astronomy. 
And if what about it, you do his, his, his flood book as well, his history of the flood. Absolutely brilliant. My students love him. Still on. <laughs> bunch of Baptists. This is Calvin, man. The word heaven, this again, Calvin, is taken in various ways, sometimes for the air, sometimes for the whole system of spheres. Remember what they had? They didn't have gravity back then. There was a bunch of spheres of the planet spinning around. The whole system of spheres, when Christ is said to be in heaven, we must not take it that he dwells amongst the spheres. And numbered uh, the number of stars, heaven denotes a higher place than all the stars. So ancient astronomy. And there's basically what he believed. All right, what do you do with all this traditional stuff? I suggest this message ancient principle. I love Augustine. I love Luther. I love, I love uh, Calvin. But I think what we can do is draw away the message, create lessons about who we are, our human sinfulness, and slip away the de novo creation app. So separate, don't conflate. Almost there. Human evolution now, and and this is on your handout. A couple categories. Most people see evolution as being disteleological, plan or purpose. How about the possibility that maybe it's teleological, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are behind the process? With that being the case, and let's use professional terminology for the words evolution and creation. Creation is someone who simply believes in a creator. I am a creationist of the highest order. I'm also an evolutionary biologist. I'm also an evolutionist, but I just see that as a natural process. That would make me a teleological evolutionist. Now, if you're wrestling and you should be if this is the first time you've heard anything like that. I get it. But one of the f best analogies, I actually got this from Charles Darwin in The Origin of Species, is the embryology evolution analogy. By creative action, God uses natural processes. Does anyone in the room here believe the Lord comes out of heaven when you're in your mother's womb and attach an arm or a leg? And I think I know the answer. Psalm 139. The Lord knit us fearfully and wonderfully made. There's your design statement within our mother's womb. So if that's the case... In the, in the microcosm of the room, well, obviously I don't have one, but... <laughs> you know that line, we're pregnant. Yeah, guys, we're pregnant. Even I get that. Why can't the Lord use natural processes to create all of life through evolution, fearfully and wonderfully made, and knit it that way? So, this is a simple dichotomy with a variety of different views, but I'm contrasting this to Richard Dawkins and Disteleological Evolution, driven by blind chance. We're nothing but animals controlled by physical instincts. Let's make this very clear. I'm, don't, even, don't even go there. Don't even, that's not my position. I'm an evolutionary creationist. I think the whole process is ordained and sustained by God, and that we're creating the image of God, and we've all sinned. And when it comes to these, these are non-negotiable. The moment I step away from these, I will no longer call myself a Christian. Of course, the fun question is how and when. Well, let's go back to the room. Question, tough question. When does the image of God in human sin get manifested through this process called natural processes? I'm going to give you a bunch of options. Now, I'm going to do this simply for academic reasons. Did you get half an image of God from Dad, you know, sawed in half? Well, you can't do that with spiritual stuff. But anyway, it had to be done. The punctiliar, punctus means to puncture. Uh, Think of me as a dentist. I used to puncture a lot of people with needles. Punctiliar event. At one sharp point, does it come thundering in at fertilization, two-cell stage, first heartbeat? Or here's a possibility. Is it a gradual, and I'm using the word mysterious in its fullest theological sense. We do not have the epistemological apparatus to grasp that. Is it a gradual, mysterious manifestation? Now, 
Watch what I'm going to do. Last common ancestors. No, we don't evolve from monkeys. No, we don't evolve from chimpanzees. Chimps are our cousins. So we have this theoretical creature called the last common ancestor. Doesn't bear the image of God. Not sinful about six million years ago. Here are your options. Option number one, which is becoming quite popular in evangelical circles who have evangelicals with a biology background. Uh, evolutionary monogenism, where two individuals are taken off the prehumans. This is Adam and Eve given spiritual characteristics, fall into sin fairly quickly. Punctilia, sharp point, poly, many, genism, genesis, many Adams and many Eves, it's a possibility. Or could it be there's gradual polygenism over many generations, no real specific Adams and Eves because the whole thing is mysterious and gradual. Now, with that being said, let's sort of go to a bit of a cladogram here, whereby last common ancestor, chimps go in one direction, we go in another, or we emerge in another direction. Chimpanzees are not down there, they're around a million years ago. They had pre-ancestors. Pre and I'm going to make a box somewhere around 50,000 years ago where modern, behaviorally modern humans that start acting like us. People with bodies like ours about 200,000 years ago, something pretty interesting happened around 50K. And I'm going to put those, and I'm putting all these little fingers in that box. So there's no real place on this line. But just to say, Maybe an Adam and Eve taken off that group. Maybe a bunch of Adam and Eves, maybe in that, that window around 50,000 50, years ago. Um, no Adams and Eves, but the creatures start bearing the image of God, becoming morally culpable. All right, here's the most important slide from my perspective, where a number of evangelicals will say to me, Danny, get, you know, we're with you on evolution, but we need... We need to tack on Adam at the tail end of this. Okay, that's evolutionary monogen. Fair enough. I understand that conceptually. And this is where, who are the physicists here? I know Dr. Carlson's here. All right, All right guys, you want to do this to me as a biologist? Oh, yeah, you know where I'm going, right? You're telling me there's a big bang, a lot of data? I trust you. I ain't got the math. Well, then what I'm going to ask you to do is tack on a three-tier universe at the tail end. You see what's going on here? What's the problem with this? It's categorically inappropriate. I mean, there isn't, a, there isn't an evangelical physicist who'll go there. And so I don't think we need to tack on an atom at the tail end. So that's where I'm at. Take it for what it's worth. Okay, we know the genes. This is what's really neat about evolutionary biology instead of it being threatening to us. The Lord has put in this world a creature, and I'm going to be pulling on you, almost identical to us in the flesh. But can't you see that we're different? When's the last time you've gone to a chimp service, religious service, <laughs> and sang chimp praise and worship music? When's the last time you've read chimp poetry? When's the last time you've listened to a lecture from a chimp university professor? Don't answer the question. <laughs> Here it is. Well, look at the flash. I mean, can't you see that? And where does this thing about being made in the image of God come in? It's in the creation account. So if the Lord is going to create someone in his image, I think it's reasonable to say that that critter is going to have a pretty amazing creative impulse. Fair enough? Is that reasonable? 
Praise God, we have that. And for you guys, well, all of us create something. When you have those moment of creations, do you not delight in this? I think it's exactly what God does with creation. Okay, conclusions. This is a lot of information. By the way, it's on my, this is on my website, and you're more than welcome to go. It's in audio and slides. Concordism, I believe, is the problem. The Bible is not a book of science. We've heard this a million times. And if you're wrestling with this, my suggestion, this is what I do with and my young earth creation students say when they read Galileo, because what we do is we do Galileo, and then all they do is apply this to the evolution issue. Galileo, who popularized Cardinal Baronio's uh, fabulous uh, aphorism. And by the way, another thing, if you've got a pencil, uh, a letter to the Grand Duchess Christina. Letter to the Grand Duchess Christina. He popularizes this aphorism, 1615, it's on the net. It's his hermeneutical treatise. He's a great scientist, no doubt about it. But then read his hermeneutics, and you're going to sit back and go, wow. So the intention of the Holy Spirit is to teach us how one goes to heaven and not how heaven goes. That's so cute. The intention of the Bible is to teach us that God is our creator and not how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created. Point two. All right, here's the challenge. You know, it's really great being in a Catholic school. And I mean, as an evangelical, is always, oh, those Catholics have traditions. We have traditions, too, if you don't know about it. <laughs> and what's scary is they're a little more insidious because we don't think we have them. Because we stand on the Word of God, the pure Word of God. It ain't true. Christian tradition has conflated Adam with the message of faith and has given an ancient science, de novo creation, the status of inerrancy. Conclusion three, the Bible sets a precedent for us to use the science of our day. In other words, I'm going to look at the scripture and see, what's the Holy Spirit doing this? Which, by the way, you know, Kepler and a variety of researchers said that science is thinking God's thoughts after him. You know what hermeneutics and biblical interpretation is? It's thinking the Holy Spirit's thoughts after him. So look what we can do here. We can take the message of faith. God created humans in the image of God and we're sinful. And we can take an incident, modern science, in particular human evolution. Now, Keith Miller is going to throw something at me for about what I'm going to say. Let's say evolution crashes and burns. I don't think it is. But if it does, I will not blink. Might be doing a whole lot of apologizing. But, <laughs> <laughs> but just bring in your next scientist. Bring in your newest vessel. The vessel's great, but the vessel is not inerrant. The vessel carries the living waters. Three, okay, before, all right, here's my big conclusion. Sin entered the world, and if there's any doubt, have a look around. But, not through Adam. And finally, most importantly, sin is real. And as I began... We're all sinners and we're all in need of a Savior. And as I began with the book of Hebrews, I will close with that magnificent, magnificent book of Hebrews. 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you very much.